It's uh, good to see you um, here. I want to thank you for coming. Uh, thank you for being part of, uh, part of the, the church and uh, joining us in, in worship today. We've been uh, looking through um, this Old Testament poetic book called Ecclesiastes for the last couple of weeks. This is the third week in, in this series, and we've been learning through the teacher uh, his view as he's searched for meaning in life and gone to dip his tongue in a bunch of different wells and he's uh, sharing his conclusions and ex- his experiences with us in the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, last week, we saw that um, he, he, he sought meaning in life, uh, in uh, wisdom, in trying to accumulate and acquire all kinds of knowledge. And he took this idea of wisdom and finding meaning in it, and he wrote it all the way to its very end, only to find at the end of the day that this was a meaningless pursuit and a chasing after the wind, and it left him longing and crying out for the true wisdom that can only be found uh, from heaven above, uh, from uh, God our Father. And so uh, the book of Ecclesiastes is in many ways, it could almost be seen as an evangelistic tract uh, for, people who don't know the, for people who don't know the Lord uh, to see that all these things that we put our hope in end up being like vapor. They're gone uh, after just a, a moment's notice. And so as we continue to look into Ecclesiastes, we're going to uh, look at uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And we're going to look at the next thing that the teacher uh, sought to find hope and sought to find meaning in uh, under the sun. And this is God's word, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 1. He says, I thought in my heart, come now, I'll, I'll test you with pleasure to find out what is good but that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish, and what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water Uh, groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. Also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasures of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well, the delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure My heart took delight in all my work, and this was a reward for all my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had told to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. This is God's word. Uh, He begins by saying, I thought in my heart, come now, I'll test you with pleasure to find out what is good. Uh, He he enters into this uh, pleasure experiment here. He says, if wisdom failed, if I became the wisest person in all the world and that failed, maybe where wisdom failed, pleasure will succeed. And so he gave himself to this relentless pursuit of pleasure. And it says here, come now, I'll test you. But that also proved to be meaningless. He's putting this conclusion out there ahead of time, saying everything under the sun, all the pleasures under the sun... I'm going to tell you, are meaningless. And then he goes on and he explains what he's about, what uh, had transpired. So three things we're going to see. Uh, We're going to look at his search for meaning. And then a couple points. We're going to look at the the shortness of that pleasure. And then we're going to look at uh, the secret, if we can, uh, of pleasure. Um, The search for pleasure, as he's looking 
to find with pleasure what is good and if there's any meaning in all of that stuff. Uh, One of the things that we've come to realize in our world that I've come to realize that we are very easily bored people. We are very easily bored. If you um, look at, I, I did this uh, this week, I just typed in uh, bored into Google and saw what kind of websites came out. There's a bunch of websites for bored people. One called bored.com, right? Bored.com. There's another one called imbored.com. There's one called verybored.com, extremelybored.com, boredatwork.com, at work and bored. We're a bored kind of people. And so we do a lot of things in order to try and bring meaning to this boring existence. And so many of us, what we try and do in order to cover up the, bore, the, the boredom in our lives is we try and seek pleasure. This is what the teacher did as well. And so he's going to tell us how he sought for pleasure in this world. He begins with laughter in verse 2. Then he starts throwing these parties, laughter and wine linked together in, chapter, in verses 2 and 3. He's throwing these great big parties in order to get a big laugh. Hey, laughter and wine and all of these things and alcohol. And, and, and he's got these, these huge parties that he's throwing, epic parties. And he's brought the best of the best and the funniest of the funniest to make people laugh. He's got you know, Bobby Lee in one corner and he's there and he's like making jokes about being a North Korean scientist. And, and, and then you've got Dave Chappelle in another corner and he's yapping it up with, with Bill Cosby or uh, whoever the, the, the funniest people are, they're, they're, they're making all these jokes, and in the corner there's this big commotion, and you're like, oh my gosh, and someone's really mad, and, and they're, about to, they're about to call the cops and, and go crazy on someone, and then Ashton Kutcher jumps out, and he says, you got punked, and everyone is laughing. They're laughing and laughing and laughing, and everything that, everything that could be laughed about under the sun, they're laughing at. And then he says, well, let's have, some, let's have some wine, he also says. I tried cheering myself in verse 3 with wine and embracing folly, my mind still holding on to wisdom. So he's not getting drunk here. He knows exactly what's going on, but he's using wine in order to up the level of pleasure in his life. He's saying, let the alcohol flow. Bring it out. 99 barrels of beer on the wall. 99 barrels of beer. Take one down. Pass it around. 98 barrels, it's still there, and they're laughing it up, and they're yakking it up, and having a great old time, and then at the end of it all, he says, laughter is foolish, and what does pleasure accomplish? Do you ever have an experience like that? You're just sitting there, and you're laughing with your friends. Maybe it's after church, you're just hanging out in the parking lot, and you're telling stupid stories about things that you did when you were little, or, or you're reenacting Russell Simmons and his, or Russell Peters, right? Russell Peters and all of his jokes about the market and China and things like that. You're just laughing and laughing and laughing. And I remember one night in, in the Dominican Republic, a bunch of us got together late at night, and we were just talking, and, and just late into the night, this one guy was just telling all kinds of stories about just things that had happened, and we're just sitting there laughing, and our faces were hurting, and my muscles in, in my cheeks were getting sore, and my stomach, I never laughed so much before in my life. And then I, I remember going back to sleep that night and saying, you know what, that was, was really pointless, the end of it all. It was really fun, it was a whole lot of laughs, but what were we talking about? It was nothing to it, there was nothing to it. Or you ever go to a party and, and you've got this a little bit of alcohol in you. Maybe, hopefully, this is not for any of you who are young, but you, you've got some alcohol in you and you're, you're making all these jokes and you're the, you're the life of the party and everyone is laughing at you and you're, they're, they're making a circle around you and, and you're dancing and they're like, 
go teacher, go teacher, make it funky, and you're dancing, doing this birthday dance, and everyone is laughing at you. And you feel like, yeah, you know, this is it, this is it. You're embracing folly, being this foolish person that alcohol can sometimes make you to be. And, and you're doing all these things, and, and everyone is laughing, and they think you're so great, and they think you're so cool, and then you go home at night, and you still feel this gaping emptiness in your heart. That's what the teacher is saying. You know, one preacher described it like a jack-o'-lantern. Now you've got this huge smile on the outside, but inside, you're empty and you're rotting away. See, that's what happened to the teacher. He said, I tried doing all these things, and you know what? It didn't, it didn't do it for me. I pushed this all the way to the limits as far as I could go, and when, when all was said and done, it was just a vapor. I laughed. I got buzzed, but that was it. I woke up the next morning, and I did it all over again. And then he says, you know what? That wasn't enough. And so in verse 4, he says, I'm going to get a little bit civilized. I'm going to get a little bit cultured. And he says, I undertook great projects, and he built himself a house. And isn't that what some of us think is going to give us pleasure in life or give us meaning in life? Isn't that the, the, the pinnacle of the American dream? That's what separates the poor from the middle class, right? Home ownership. I have a home now. And now maybe I've got a little bit of pleasure. I've got a little bit of significance, a little bit of meaning. That's what he sought. But it wasn't enough for him. So he said, I built houses for myself, not just one, but two and three and four and five and built multiple houses for himself, trying to find meaning in pleasure. And then he said, maybe that's not it. And so he built himself vineyards. It says, I planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them, reservoirs to water, groves of flourishing trees. He became the most interesting man in the world, not just having houses, not just having alcohol, not just inviting and throwing the biggest epic parties, but now, but now he's planting vineyards, and he's getting more and more cultured here. Martha's Vineyard, vineyards that would rival all of the vineyards of the day, not just one, but he had multiple vineyards, and then he planted gardens and parks, designing them, national parks, things to rival Yosemite and Yellowstone. And he's like, I've got these. I don't need to go somewhere to find them. I've got them in my backyard. This is it. This is my life. This is all right here. And then, you know what? It It takes a lot in order to try and maintain those things. So here's what he did. Verse seven, he bought slaves, males and females, and they had other slaves who were born in his house. So they took care of all of these things. He didn't have to lift a finger. He was just there soaking in the pleasures and the comforts of life. Just sitting back on his lazy boy or sitting back in his lawn chair, looking at his gardens and looking at his vineyards and having someone at his beck and call, hey, can you bring me my pina colada? I wanna drink a little bit of this. And that a snap of another finger, here they come with olives and grapes, feeding it to him, and cheese, and, and giving him all this stuff. He didn't have to do anything. Just drinking in the comfort of the pleasured lifestyle. And he got herds and animals, flocks, more than anyone else in Jerusalem. And then he got silver and gold. Why did, he didn't need all of these things, but he got them because he was bored and thought maybe in pleasure there'll be some meaning. Isn't that what we do when we try and accumulate more and more things? It's not because we really need them. It's because, isn't it a lot of times because we're just bored? When we go shopping for new clothes, I know this is it for me. I don't really need these. It's like my clothes are not disintegrating in my closet. I don't really need them. I want them because I'm bored or because the clothes I've got are no longer fashionable. I don't really need them. I want them to, to, to do something with the boredom that I have when I look at my closet. And this is what he was doing. 
And then he acquired men and women singers. He's just sitting there and he's hanging out, looking at all that he's got. And he's like, you know what? It's a little bit too quiet in here. I need a little bit of music. And he snaps his fingers and his servants come. And they're like, sir, we'll set up your speaker systems out here. He's like, you kidding me? Who do you think you're talking to? You may listen to Justin Bieber on your iPod, but I can get Justin Bieber. And so he comes, right? And he sings his songs for him. He's like, I acquired all these singers. You watch Glee on TV and you watch it on Hulu. I've got Glee at the snap of my finger. And he snaps and here they come singing their songs in their cheerleader outfits and all the things that they do. He said, I've got this, man. This is it. And if, if that's not enough, if that's a little bit too simple, then he'll bring out a little bit of Lady Gaga and other people and he'll, man, this is it. This is the life. And I'm soaking it. I'm drinking in it. And then on top of all that, Pleasure of pleasures. He said, I got a harem as well. The delights of the heart of man. Anything that any guy wants, he said, I've got it right here. I've got it right here. I've got a different woman for every day of the week, a different woman for every month. If any, any hair color, whatever I want, I've got it. They're here. All the pleasures found under the sun, I've got at my disposal. Like that's all I've ever needed. I've got in my backyard everything that I want. Maybe some of us were thinking, if I had, if I, I, don't, I don't need a different woman for one day of the week. Maybe if I just had one, if I just had one. If I just had one to pleasure me, then life would be all right. If I just had, maybe if, if I just had Justin Bieber come up to me and say, I love you, that would make, that would make me the happiest girl in the world. Maybe that's how some of us feel. He's saying, you know what? I searched all over. I had every pleasure that you could ever dream of. And then at the end, here's what he says in verse 9. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. Verse 10, I did nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. And then here's what he says. It says, my heart took delight in all my work, right? Here's what we think. We think he said, you know what? And it was all meaningless. But he said, you know, I actually, I liked it. I liked the fact that I had all these women. I liked the fact that I had all these singers. I liked the fact that I had multiple homes and vineyards. And I liked it. It was cool. You see, he was searching for pleasure. But the second thing that we see is the short-lived nature of pleasure. He liked it for a moment. But then it says in verse 11, yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done, And what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. He said, when I was living in the moment of it, I enjoyed it. I'll be honest with you. I enjoyed it. I liked it. There was a pleasure to these temptations. I liked it. But as soon as I turned around, I realized that there was nothing to it. It was such a short-lived pleasure. It was so short-lived, and that's the deception of under-the-sun pleasure, is it promises to us so much, but the thrill is quickly, is quickly gone. In, uh, I think it was 1978, a guy named Isaac Singer won the Nobel Prize for Literature, and he, he was applauded, and everyone was like, uh, you know, cheering him, and, and this is what he said. He said, you know what? It was great, but 20 minutes later, I was the same man with the same problems, with the same worries in life. 20 minutes, that's all it lasted for him. 20 minutes. Maybe it's different for some of us, but the reality of under-the-sun pleasure is that it's all very short-lived. 
It, it, it promises us so much, and maybe it gives us some up front, but in time that quickly dissolves and degenerates into the law of diminishing marginal returns. And the next time, in order to have that same effect, we need a little bit more. It need to go a little bit further. It need to go a little bit further. One of the uh, m- most recent uh, examples in my life of how this happened is there used to be, even just a few weeks ago, I talked about this game that I love to play called Monopoly Deal. And I used to play it and uh, play with, uh, with, with some friends at church and played it with some friends when they visited and had a great old time. And then I would uh, want to play so badly. It was so pleasurable to me that I would say to Olivia after a long day, I would say, hey, let's play just one game, just a, a couple games. And then we would play. And then she would always beat me. And this pleasure would be so quickly gone. And she would, we'd play three games in a row and she'd beat me three times in a row. And so in order to, in order to get this, this, this pleasure again, we had to change all the rules. We said, you know what? Let's make the game a little bit harder. Let's introduce all these wrinkles to it. We need to go a little bit further, a little bit further to get that same initial pleasure. You see, that's how it, with, with, with the teacher... It wasn't, okay, we have this great big party. We laugh. We've got the Chappelle show on. We've got punked on. And we've got all this stuff. And then he'd go to sleep. He'd wake up the next morning. He'd do it all over again and again and again and again. I had to go bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. He didn't just have one home. It said, I built houses for myself. Right? We might think, I've got a home. He's like, well, I've got 20 of them. Hey, I went to Martha's Vineyard. I've got Martha's Vineyard. And I've got everybody else in their grandma's vineyard in my backyard. But I need more and more and more. And it's still not satisfying. Because the pleasures under the sun promise us so much, but they don't have what it takes to fulfill and to cash in on those promises. You know, we think if I just had that one thing, if I just had that house or if I just had that car, if I just had those, those shoes, if I just had that person in my life, Here's what the teacher's saying. You know what? He said, I had that. Not only did I have one of those, I had many of those. And it's still a chasing after the way. It's all vapor. It's nothing. Uh, you could search for all eternity long. I searched and I pushed it to the max. Again, I didn't just dip my toe in it, but I dove headfirst into all of the pleasures of this earth. And nothing could satisfy me. See, the, the, the tricky thing, and here's the scary thing about under-the-sun pleasure, is that there's a lot of fine print to it, and there's a lot of unintended circumstances that come along with it as well. A couple years back, after we, uh, first, Olivia and I first bought our home, we started getting all these things in the mail telling us that we need this and this for our home. And one of the things that it said is, your water at your house is very hard. I'm not talking about it's ice, but it's talking about the, the kind of water it is. And it needs to be softened in order to maximize the benefits of your water. And so they send something in the mail and they say, hey, we're going to come to your house on Saturday afternoon. And we're just going to be there for 10 minutes just to test your water. That's okay. 10 minutes is okay. And you know, I really don't want this guy to come, but um, the appointment already made. So I said, okay, 10 minutes, that's fine. One o'clock to about 1.10. So the guy comes and he's asking us about our water. I'm like, well, it's, you know, it's water. We don't really drink the water that comes out of the faucet. We put it in our, our Brita filter pitcher and all that stuff. And so he started running all these experiments. He's like, the pH of normal, of good, healthy water is like such and such. Let's check the pH of yours. And he checked the pH, and ours was like off the charts, bad, according to him. He's like, did you know that your water doesn't have the proper pH balance? I was like, well, I, I guess I do now. And he's like, well, 
let's, let's, let's do this other experiment. Taste uh, the water that, this is a guy named Rainsoft. Let me blow their spot here because they're awful. Rainsoft, bad, bad people. But he's like, drink your water and then drink this Rainsoft water. So I drank this Rainsoft water. He's like, do you tell the, can you tell the difference? <laughs> so I was trying hard to think about it. I was like, um, not really. He's like, doesn't Rainsoft water taste, isn't there a tinge of sweetness to it? So I said, yeah, if you say so, you know, it, it, it does. And he's like, well, let's do this final test. Let's do this final test. And so he did this last test where he's like, he, he's like give me something dirty. So I gave him something dirty. He's like, dip it in your water and then dip it in rain soft water and see the difference. The rain soft water supposedly made everything so much cleaner. And I was like, oh, my goodness, that's really good. But I had no intention of buying it. But uh, I, got, I got suckered, and he started, like, baiting me in. And he's like, Here, here's a kicker. He's like, in a few years, this is what your pipes are going to look like. And he showed me a picture of of like these rusted, broken pipes. He's like, you know how much that's going to cost to fix? I said, how much? And he gave me some astronomical figure. I said, oh, I, I don't have that much money. And then he's like, if you have rain soft water, this is what your pipes will look like. And they're like perfectly shiny, nice pipes. And he's like, would you rather have this or that? And I was like, duh, obviously I'd rather have the nice pipes. So I was like, okay, so how much does this cost? And he said, it costs like $10,000. I was like, $10,000 for water? Come on now, you got to, this is like, this is, he's like, okay, okay, we got another plan here. We got another plan. You don't have to pay $10,000. We got one for $8,000. I was like, $8,000 is money that I don't have. I don't want to, I don't want to pay it. He's like, okay, we got another, and he went all the way down these different plans. He's like, we got one for $800, but this isn't really good. Um, No one that I ever talks to ever buys this kind of stuff. (laughs) So... I was like, if I pay $800, what will I get? He's like, instead of getting the whole house rain soft watered, you can just get one faucet here with that. But, but here's what you get. And he pulled out this like, like fold out brochure. It's like this long. And it had this, like all these like organic products that rain soft makes. He's like, you could have all these for free. And it was like, uh, uh, like laundry detergent and hand soap and facial soap and all these things. He's like, all this stuff you get for free and we can deliver it to you tomorrow. I was like, well, what do you mean you get delivered? He's like, yeah, my garage, we've got like this all stacked up and, and like so much stuff that you can't even park your car in your garage. And at the end of this time, I, I said, well, thanks, but no thanks. We don't want all this stuff. And I realized something about Rainsoft and here's something very insightful. If you ever have them come, because I think the reason they said they'd give us like a $50 gift card to, to something, and so we're like, oh, you know, we can go on a date. They never gave that to us, by the way. But the thing about Rainsoft is that the guy stayed a whole lot longer than he said he was going to stay. I thought it was going to be 10 minutes. He was there from 1 until 2.30, explaining all of these things. He's like, just a little bit longer, and he's like changing all these like spigots on my faucet and stuff, and then he had to read, he asked me for, he didn't even bring his own tools, I remember. He asked me for mine. He stayed a whole lot longer than I wanted him to stay. He wanted me to pay a whole lot more I was willing to, than I was willing to pay, and he wanted me to go a lot further than I was willing to go. And that's the nature, that's the nature of pleasure under the sun. You see, it promises all of these things up front, but it costs you a whole lot more than you're willing to pay. It keeps you a whole lot longer than you are willing to stay. And it takes you a whole lot further then you're wanting to go. And I just wanted to go out on one date with him. But all of a sudden, oh my goodness, I've got this issue. I didn't know, I didn't know all of the things about him, but now I've got these, I'm sick because of him. This is the nature of under the sun pleasure. It costs you more than you're willing to pay. Well, I, thought it would, I thought it would be good. I thought it would be pleasurable. And for a moment it is. 
but the pleasures under the sun are short-lived, but the pain of those pleasures have lasting consequences. And that's what the teacher recognized. He said, you know what? All of these things that promise end up being vain and empty. And as soon as we realize this, C.S. Lewis says, we've got four options here. When we realize that all of these under-the-sun pleasures fail to satisfy the deepest longings of our heart, then we've got four options here. The first option is we could respond like a fool, and we can say, you know what? That wasn't it. I'll just get another one of those same things. If that house didn't satisfy me, all I need to do is just get a different house, and that'll do it for me. If that pleasure didn't satisfy, I just need to find a greater pleasure. If this husband doesn't work out for me, I just need to, I just need to get another one. Or if this, if, if this relationship doesn't work out, I need to get another one. Or if this, if this school doesn't work out, then I just need to transfer and find another one. This is the way of the fool, he says, to think that I can find this satisfaction for my soul in some other kind of under-the-sun pleasure. He says, that's the way of the fool. The self-hater, on the other, other hand, says, you know what? The problem is with myself. I'm the problem, and I will never find happiness in this life because I'm messed up and I'm broken, and I can never, ever, ever amount to anything. I can never find pleasure in this life. Then there's a way of the cynic that says this world is just completely messed up, and this life is completely messed up, and instead of being a self-hater, instead of hating those things, we begin to hate the world and hate life. This is how the people who read Ecclesiastes apart from God will view life. They say, you know what? Life stinks. It's never, it's just about surviving until I die. And then that's it. But he says, there's another option that we can take. The option of the believer. And he says, if I find that there's a longing in my heart that nothing under the sun can satisfy, that nothing, nothing under the sun can can, can, can scratch the itch and the longing of my heart, then maybe my hope comes from above the sun. Here's how he said, if I find in my heart a desire that no experience in this world can satisfy, then the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And so here we see, finally, the secret to pleasure then. Right? What is it? In order to, in order to understand this, And we have to understand what's going on here in the mind of the teacher. If you look in verses 4 through 7, this is highly and deeply insightful. It talks about the fact that he he made gardens and parks and all kinds of fruit trees and reservoirs of water groves of flourishing trees, male and female slaves and other slaves. The the language that he's talking about here takes us back to a, a long and distant place, to another time. In fact, the word that he uses for gardens is an ancient Persian word, word called paradiso. It's where we get this word paradise. And only there are three major times this word garden in this word appears in Scripture. One of them is here, and another one is way back in Genesis chapter 2. When God was talking about a garden, when he talked about planting things, when he talked about reservoirs to water, flourishing trees, where he talked about being fruitful and multiplying and filling that garden and filling that world with people that had been procreated. You see, what is the teacher trying to do here? He's trying to go back to another time and place where God had put man and woman in a garden and said, flourish, be fruitful, be multi and multiply, enjoy the pleasures of this paradise. That's what the teacher is trying to do. See, he's trying to create for himself a paradise that only God could create. 
He's trying to create for himself a paradise that almost worked, but at the end, he said, when I'd surveyed all that my hands had done and what I toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. He got close, but he wasn't close enough. Because you see, this paradise and this pleasure that he was trying to create for himself is not something that humans can create. It's something that only God can. And so the only other place we see this word paradise, this garden in this way. So when Jesus Christ is hanging on a cross and he looks at a penitent thief next to him and he says, because of grace, because I have ushered in a new creation that you could never do for yourself because you as a thief sought sought pleasure and treasure by the work of your own hands only to find that it was all vain and empty because you tried to accomplish for yourself that and you could not. By grace, I'm doing that for you. And he said, today, you will be with me in the garden. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. See, here's what the teacher, here's what the thief, here's what you and I and all of creation try and do, is we try and seek for ourselves a pleasure and create for ourselves a pleasure to create for ourselves a paradise And when we do it apart from God, we realize that it's just a mist, it's just a vapor. It's here and a momentary pleasure, and it's gone. It's gone. And what Jesus was saying, that there's a pleasure in this world that can be had, that comes only by grace, that comes only in relationship with me. You see, throughout the Bible, here's what pleasure is. It is never a product that we pursue. It's never an end in itself. The moment we begin to pursue pleasure is the moment we begin to realize the futility of it all. Every time we chase after pleasure in and of itself, we realize that it's a grasping for the wind. But Proverbs says, here's what true pleasure is. It's when we pursue righteousness, justice, and peace in the kingdom of God. That's when we find true pleasure. In the New Testament, Pleasure and joy is always a byproduct. In Matthew 13, 48, it's the byproduct of a man who stumbled upon a field, in a field, a treasure called the kingdom of heaven that was so great that it was worth giving up everything for and pursuing. He said, that's what true pleasure, that's what true joy is. It is a byproduct of seeking someone and something else. Pleasure doesn't come because we seek after it and we try and find it on our own. It's because it comes when we seek after other things and something else, namely Jesus Christ and righteousness in the kingdom of God. And as a result, on that journey, we find pleasure. That's what the teacher is saying. In other words, all this pleasure experiment comes to this one final conclusion. The cry of vanity as he pursues pleasure. The cry of vanity is a cry for the work of Christ, to do for him what he could not do for himself. And it's the cry of every human heart. Vanity under the sun. Is there something that can give me meaning? Is there something that could give me pleasure? And the whole counsel of scripture says there is. And it comes in a relationship with Jesus Christ. It comes in him, in seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness, and knowing that all things pleasure included will be added unto us as well.
thing, when we begin to let go of our pursuit of these other pleasures and fasten our affections upon him and upon what he would have us pursue, we realize that at the end of the day, he was the one who has always been pursuing after us. And the pleasures of this earth, the best pleasures of this earth are but a glimpse, a whisper pointing us to a deeper and greater and more lasting treasure that doesn't cost us first, but it came because it cost him his life. And in light of that treasure, in light of that pleasure, we can say, you know, if anyone comes after me, I will deny. If anyone come after Christ, Jesus said, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That cost that we pay is always in light of an infinitely greater pleasure that comes because of what Christ has done for us and what he offers to us. Let's pray together. Let's take a moment as we reflect. Hey, what are the areas in our lives that we're seeking after in order to find pleasure in this life? Hey, what's that thing in your life that you say, if I had this pleasure, then this otherwise boring, meaningless existence would have significance again. Where is that th- what is that thing in your life that you feel like, you know what, if I have this, if I had this really, and I were to let go of Jesus, it, it would be okay. The teacher is telling us and the word of God is telling us that we could search for all eternity long and we'd still find that everything under the sun is meaningless, is vanity, is vapor. And when we begin to make these good things the ultimate thing, this is where we begin to experience despair and recognize the futility of all of these things. But Jesus says, if you would take your gaze away from these things and lift your eyes a little bit higher, you would see a pleasure beyond pleasures. You would see that I am what you've been looking for all of your life, You're all I want. You're all I've ever needed is the cry of the teacher as it calls out to God. Let's take a couple minutes right now to respond to the word of the Lord and respond to God. What does this mean for you? What does this look like in your life? Let's take a moment to pray as we respond to the Lord's invitation. Father in heaven, in every human heart, there will come a point where we realize the futility of running after the things of this life. Father, there comes a point in every life where we just hit rock bottom and we feel like all these pleasures of alcohol, of parties, 
possessions, beauty, sensuality, all of these things lead us to a dead end. They can satisfy in the moment, but outside of that moment, we realize how vain and empty and costly these things are. Father, for all of us who've dipped our tongues in the fountains that failed to satisfy, we pray that you would forgive us. Our problem is not that we desire too much. It's that we are too easily satisfied with lesser pleasures. So forgive us for making little of you and making much of the earthly pleasures. May we lift our eyes upwards that you would give us one pure and desperate longing to love you, to fix our gaze upon you, to throw ourselves in abandonment to pursuing you. And in so doing, may deep and genuine pleasure be our inheritance. We thank you. We need you. Mold our hearts and shape us. Make our desires to be like yours. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.